Football at 4 with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. You know, we, we recognize the, the ability of the roster that's, that's put together right now. And I think we have the ability to do something really special uh, with this group, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Here we go, Football at Four. It is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sports books along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Today it's Andrew DeCecco at A. DeCecco NFL. The Eagles lose, but we got a lot of questions, and they need answers. Andrew DeCecco tries to answer them right now on the Boardwalk Honda hotline as the Eagles fall to 1-3-1. and one. Andrew, what's going on, pal? Hey, doing well, Mike. Oh, boy. All right, where do we start? Um, all right, I want to start with this. Um, on that last play, Doug has kind of avoided it, and there's been videos about it. How do you read the way that defense was called? Do you put blame at Schwartz? Do you say that Geary was out of position? Uh, it seems that this thing has been discussed six ways to Sunday, but nobody has a definitive answer. What's your take on the Claypool touchdown? Yeah, Doug, Doug did what I expected him to do, and that was take up for his defensive coordinator. But Jim Schwartz, to me, deserves the full blame for that play. To have Nathan Gary, who is arguably the worst coverage linebacker in the NFL right now, in coverage with a guy who's been beating the team throughout, the, beating the team like a drum throughout the afternoon is unacceptable. You know, you want to look at Nathan Gary in coverage. You, opponent, opposing teams have been 23 for 23 for 267 yards and four touchdowns against him. And that's uh, and that which equated to 154.6 passer rating. Um, to leave that guy isolated like that in the in the latter stages of the game is is just there's no excuse for it. So what could have happened in that spot? I mean, Slay's off the field, Maddox is already out. You're shorthanded. Um, what could the Eagles have done differently? Well, they could have given him a little bit of help, a little bit more help over the top with Rodney McLeod. Um, they really didn't have a ton of options, right? So I mean, you have Craig James in the game. You had Jalen Mills out there. Marcus Epps hasn't been setting the world on fire. He struggled mightily in that game. Um, but pretty much any option they could have put out there would have been better than Nathan Gary in that situation, given all, all, all things considered. I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but uh, when you talk about the lack of talent and the lack of alternatives, that's kind of the road I go down with Jim Schwartz. He definitely has blame and deserves to be blamed for this loss and his imprint, his footprint is on this, but like this team is just not built properly. And I've seen Jim Schwartz succeed when he has talent, and I don't know if there's many defensive coordinators that would be able to do well with he, what he is given. Yeah, this defense is is really bad, Hunter. The, the, he can't he can only do he can only work with what he, with what he has. He does have some personnel dis, uh, control as far as you know deciding who he wants to have on on his defensive uh, on his dis, defensive uh, core there. But he really doesn't have a whole ton, a whole lot of options to work with. So um, he's not able to do some of the things that you know you would like to see from him, especially in the later stages of the game, as far as drawing up pressure and and being creative in what he can do in, with his coverage packages. He just can't do all that. And, you know, and those were the results that you're going to get throughout the season, something like along those lines where 
teams are going to take advantage of that, and they're going to go right over the the, the middle uh, the middle of the Eagles defense, the heart of the defense, because that's been where they've been most susceptible. So, all right, another uh, guy, not, not great. Another guy as a part of that is a guy that we all liked. I think Nicole Roby Coleman, thirty two snaps yesterday. Seems that he's really struggling. In fact, I believe he got benched at some point yesterday. I feel like they've already given up on him. Uh, I know you liked Coleman. I think a lot of people like this signing. Uh, the Rams, you know, they had to give up on him because they were so capped out. I think they would have liked to have brought him back. So why is Coleman, Roby Coleman, struggling? Well, one thing I will mention is over the, I guess since the Bengals game, they've done a good job of, kind of splitting up the snaps between Nikel Roby Coleman and Craven LeBlanc. A lot of it has been matchup based as far as, you know, you're getting your some of your bigger slots against a guy like Craven LeBlanc and some of your smaller, quicker guys against Nikel Roby Coleman. And I actually thought that Nikel, uh, Roby Coleman had a uh, had a better game overall than Craven LeBlanc did outside of I me. Mean, obviously Craven uh, had a couple of bigger plays there, but I thought that there were some more egregious errors as far as tackling and, and pursuit to the football over pursuit, I should say. I thought he struggled in some of those areas, and like I said, he, he's Craven, someone that has a lot of energy and he and he plays with a lot of effort. But if you he, if you leave him out there long enough, teams are going to exploit him, and you're going to people will soon realize why he is a role player and not a starter. Well, when you look around the league, you see Rasul Douglas, and he's playing well. Sidney Jones was a breakout player for the Jags. Is there a reason why when players leave here, Nelson Aguilar is another one. Like They leave here, although he's on the offensive side of the ball. We'll stick with the defense. Is there something with this scheme that puts these cornerbacks in such a tough spot? Well, I would say for Rasul, in Rasul Douglas's case, yes. He, he the, the scheme did not fit his skill set. Where he, where he would have thrived is as far as in a, as in a place like Carolina, he, the team, the, the the way that Jim Schwartz r- runs his defense, it doesn't it doesn't really play well to a player of of Rasul's skill set or Jalen Mills' skill set. But in Sidney Jones's case, it was something more like, look, you, you got to give the Eagles. You, you can't fault the Eagles for this. He, he he was spent the entire training camp injured. They've given him many chances. It just wasn't working out here. Sometimes a change of scenery is what a player needs in order to kind of get, revert back to the player that they once were in college. And he, he's healthy now. He's making plays. He's playing free. A lot of it has to do with the scheme that you're in and the, and the positions that you're put in. And um, it's good to see those guys making plays. And Nelson Aguilar, Nelson's always been someone that – Performs he elevates his performance when his confidence is at its highest. And changing, going from leaving Philadelphia, where it became a toxic environment for him, he had that one good season, but he really struggled uh, overall with drops and you know come, dropping the football and at inopportune times. And I think it was just time to turn the page, go somewhere else, be in a place that maybe that they work around his skill set and he doesn't have to be the focal point. He's had to be the focal point over the past couple of seasons due to injury, and that's not really his role. Um, but, I mean, there, there's a lot of variables that go into it. So I, nothing frustrates me more than when I hear fans say it's because, you know, the Eagles don't know how to evaluate talent or et cetera. No, there's, a, there's many variables that go into these things. Andrew DeCheco, Football at Four. Uh, overall, when you look at this defense, it's all a good offensive performance. 29 points in the NFL, you should win that game. Not the best defensive performance. Why is the Eagles' defense struggling? And what is your overall opinion? Because I think I think I heard you say not a very good defense. They got Slay, that defensive front. There's a lot of money up there. Um, are they great mm-hmm. at safety? Not really, but, you know, admirable. Um, 
The linebackers we know. But overall, what is your overview of this defense? Well, the way the defense is set up is if the Eagles aren't getting home with their with their front four, they're likely going to give up a big play because the linebackers can't hold their own on the second level and the secondary outside of Darius Slay is not equipped to cover for an extended period of time on the back end. The second cornerback spot has been uh, has been a, a, a void even with Avante Maddox. There, Avante Maddox is not a number two corner in the in the NFL. He's a slot corner that the Eagles miscalculated and put him outside. He struggled there. He lacks the length and the size to match up with a lot of the receivers that he really you really need to be able to, to handle as a number two corner. The safety position has been just a rotating door of guys. You know, we don't we haven't seen Will Parks yet, but Marcus Epps is not. The guy that he went out there all the time, Kayvon Wallace, only played 17 snaps last on Sunday, which tells you that you know while they may they may like him or ha- and have plans for him in the future, they don't trust him, him enough to put him on the field right now in and in, in dire straits. So that tells you all you need to know about their uh, their safety uh, situation. But their 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 back end is just not it's not NFL caliber right now, and that's what your big that's what the biggest problem is is that when they're not getting home. The, uh, the the quarterback can just sit back there and, and kind of pick his poison. Obviously, Darius Slay is the farthest thing from the issue, but I want to get your thoughts on this. Big Ben was not afraid to go to his side. And normally when you talk about the top corners in the league, some of these quarterbacks, and I know Big Ben is at the top of the league, some of them kind of go away from that and maybe pick on other people, which they still did that. But there were many times where he looked right at Darius Slay and said, I'm going to win this matchup, and so is my receiver. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that's something that a veteran quarterback like Big Ben, they, they've seen it all. They do a lot of studying. They may have seen something on tape that kind of sparks something in his mind to, you know, draw something up to attack Darius Slay, a certain deficiency in his game or or something like that. But the, the timing that Ben has with his receivers historically has always been so seamless, no matter who's out there, whether it's Antonio Holmes or or, or you know Antonio Brown, on and on and on. It doesn't seem to matter. They just have the timing down to the point where it almost doesn't matter who's covering these guys. They find a way to scheme these guys open, and that makes the that, that makes the biggest difference. Um. All right. I want to go to the offensive side of the ball. Get some thoughts here. What was your take on Wentz's game? Twenty of thirty-five. Um. I mean, I overall, I thought he played good. Not great. I don't think he was the reason they lost the game. I think he missed some plays. Um, should we be okay with him playing good? What is your take on the game Wentz gave us yesterday? Well, Carson certainly wasn't the reason for the uh, for the loss, and I would say that from what I saw from him was it was probably his best overall performance through five games. Granted, the bar is pretty low. Granted, on the from what we've seen so far, but. You know, to me, he kind of reminded me of a boxer who was trying to feel out his opponent in the beginning of the game. Roy was just taking what the defense was giving him. He was accurate. He looked comfortable in the pocket. And then in the second half, you saw him push the ball downfield and really, really open things up and turn it loose and find find that comfortability with uh, with Travis Fulgham. And, and I really thought he threw a, his best pass of the day was that 37 yards to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. That defense, when you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, they stopped the run. Other than that 74-yard run by Miles Sanders, they stopped the run. So when I think about Carson Wentz in his game, I thought it was better than good. I'm not saying it was perfect, but I liked what I saw out of him, and I'm definitely optimistic because it seems each week it's getting better and better and more into the Carson that you know we expect him to be. 
the fact that it was a one-dimensional offense and he was still able to execute on that type of defense, that's what leaves me the most optimistic. Yeah, that's certainly encouraging and shows that he's trending in the right direction. Obviously, outside of that 74-yard touchdown run that Miles Sanders had, they really couldn't get anything going on the, in the ground game. And it was encouraging to see him kind of establish a rapport with some of his receivers and and use his legs to you know move outside the pocket and, and deliver the football with accuracy and not fall away from throws. His mechanics looked a little bit more refined. Wasn't perfect by any means, but it was it was a, a vast. He was vastly improved from what we've grown accustomed to seeing in the early part of the season, and um, and 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 the offensive line got to tip their hats to those guys. The offensive line, you know, the talk all week was how how they were going to struggle and crumble against the Steelers, the vaunted Steelers defensive line, but they really they really stood stood tall, all things considered. I thought Jordan Mailata held his own outside of that late sack from Bud Dupree. Um, and I and I really thought that Jason Kelsey. Well, just at one point, Jason Kelsey was the last man standing, but he's really done a fantastic job this season, keeping everything together as, as the glue guy in the middle. And uh, and Jack Driscoll, Jack Driscoll also really impressed me in in, in his protection. Um, let's go to what your take is on Ertz and what's going on there. I mean, uh, Peterson suggested today that Wentz missed him a couple of times, uh, but obviously something's not right there. Yeah, you know, um, one thing I won't do is speculate, but I, I, I'll just go off what I see, and, and what I see is Zach Ertz struggling to separate, whether his his routes aren't as sharp as they have been, and to me, he looks like someone who's disinterested. He's not running the routes with the same urgency. He almost seems like someone who's going through the motions. Why that's why that is, I couldn't tell you, but there is a there is I don't I don't believe that it's a, that it's an injury or anything like injury related or anything like that. I I, I don't know know really why it is, but they haven't had that that connection, Carson and and, and Zach that you. That have been has been so successful over the years. So you have to wonder what's going on there. Why there's why is there this disconnect? Uh, because he seems no he seems to have no problem finding guys like Travis Fulgham or Greg Ward and, and establishing rapport with those guys. All right, yeah, you mentioned Fulgham. What is it about Fulgham? Let me ask you. I mean, what do they do in the situation? Let's say next week. Okay, Jeffrey is activated. Jackson is activated. We know Rieger is not going to be ready to play next week, but at some point you're going to have Jeffrey, Jackson, Rieger, Goddard. Where does Fulgham fit in on this team? You know, I've been asked this question a bunch over the past, you know, since the game ended, really. Um, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that the NFL is a results-based business. The coaching staff simply won't substitute production in order to appease veterans who were on the back nine of their careers and haven't been out there while other guys have been producing. Now it becomes more about developing, you know, Rager, Fulgham, Hightower, Watkins, and Greg Ward, and trying to, you know, the season may be lost right now, but, you know, it may not be. And you can at least come out of it with, come out of this season with knowing what you have as far as your young talent, young young group of pass catchers. I don't know where our Sega Whiteside fits into that equation. He only played eight snaps. And, you know, look at Quez Watkins. He played five in his NFL debut. But uh, they do have some young guys there that they really need to give the reps to as far and instead of kind of just trotting out the same veteran tandem that really haven't, haven't been available for the better part of the two seasons. 
Fulgham is definitely the storyline with that with that day. But I want to get your thoughts on Hightower because there was that play at the end of the first half where he missed the touchdown. There was also that play where he should have ran out of bounds. And then there was Carson Wentz and him almost connected on a big bomb early. So it's like with Hightower, the plays are there. But what's missing? No, I'm, gra- I'm glad you mentioned Hightower because that's something I wanted to touch on. When he was drafted... He was lauded for his speed, and, and, and many thought that the Eagles landed a steal with getting Hightower in the fifth round. But, you know, having me having seen him at the Shrine Bowl and studied a lot of his Boise State tape, I saw a player that, yes, you're right, he does find himself in position to catch the football. He's, he gets open, he runs good routes, he can create separation down the field, but he struggles with drops, and he struggles tracking the football. That's why he was available on day three. And you saw that on Sunday when he was in position. He finds himself in position. That's not the problem. He can create separation, but it's becoming tracking the football. His head was turned around. He he didn't know where the football was. And those are things that need to get cleaned up. And you have to wonder if he had a full offseason and coaches were, and Aaron Moorhead was really able to kind of break that habit and get him on the right path. If, if, you know, he would be coming up with some more of those plays or, or whatever, but those the, the, that's one of his main deficiencies, and that's something that's going to continue to happen until they until they break that habit. Uh, a lot of stuff, um, you know, from that game yesterday. You, you, you leave the the officiating was terrible. I mean, there was so many uh, the discipline though the the, the penalties. Um, some of those penalties, the Fletcher Cox penalty, the the Jackson penalty. I thought the penalty on Slay, the pass interference, was an awful call. Um, so I guess with that question, with that I would lead into is, is this team, in your opinion, watching them close? Or is this just what they are? Uh, a bad team, a mediocre team, or are they, hey, they get healthy, a player here, tweak some things. Are they close to turning the corner or is this just who they are? In my opinion, they're not close to turning the corner. As, and maybe on the offensive side of the football a play here or a play there, I think that they could, you know, they could put up 27 points a week if Carson Wentz continues to continues to trend in the right direction and establish that rapport with his receivers. He seems to play better with a lot of a lot of these guys that that don't have don't have an agenda. They don't have an ego. They go out there and they're hungry and they they want to go out there and make plays. They they love playing football and they want to play and they want to stay in the NFL. A lot of these guys are trying to prove that they, that they want to stay in the NFL and and you know, kind of entrench themselves into a roster spot. So you see a lot of hungrier players wanting to make plays. I think if that if that continues to happen every week, I think the offense could you know be a little bit more you know formidable. But as far as the defensive side, that's this is what they have to work with. They're 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 flawed on the second and third level. That's not really going to improve. I don't know how much better a Will Parks makes the the back end. Um, he is lauded for his coverage, so he should help in some regard. But we don't know when he's going to come back. We haven't heard much of an update on him. We don't know exactly how he's going to be used. He'll be moved around all, all over formations. But um, th- there's just a lot of uncertainty there on, on the defensive side. And the Eagles, they're not equipped to win in shootouts. Were you okay with Doug Peterson going for it for the 57-yarder, or would you rather him maybe run a different play on third down and then go for it on fourth? Yeah, I was okay with it going for the 57-yarder because you know that Jake Elliott has the leg for it. He was apparently booming the booming the football in pregame, and you know, I can understand maybe that 
the, with the weather conditions, possibly with the rain and, and, and the unfamiliarity of that stadium and everything else. But I thought overall, it, the, I thought that the prospects of him connecting on that 57-yarder were, were pretty good. But, um, I mean, the, the offense really was struggling to – was previously has previously been struggling to move the football, so to not really have to, to, you could also make an argument for taking the case for trying to push the football down the field and make a play, probably go to Fulgham. They haven't really they didn't really stop him much uh, on Sunday in his thirteen targets. So either way, I, I think that they they had a chance to uh, to come away with some points there. Football for Andrew DeCheco, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Tomorrow, Jim Schwartz will talk and we'll hear his. Uh, reaction to what happened on that final play, and we'll talk to Andrew about that and plenty more. They have their hands full again this Sunday. It doesn't get any easier as Baltimore is in town. We'll have plenty more during football at four uh, with Andrew Checo tomorrow right here on the Sports Pass. Thanks, Andrew. You bet, guys. Talk to you soon. Yeah, man, and uh, that is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Funny, I just saw this. Raiders wide receiver Nelson Aguilar this season. 11 targets, 10 catches, 183 yards, 3 touchdowns. Raiders Wire tweets out, Raiders wide receiver Nelson Aguilar proving to be one of Mayock's best signings. What was his contract, though? Because just like the Roby Coleman thing that I brought up where it wasn't like everyone was all on it, didn't he get a very, very, very small amount of money to go to Vegas? So well, probably because nobody wanted him. But that's my point. That's, <laughs> I mean, he wasn't like a highly sought after guy. But the Eagles weren't. I mean, they could have brought him back. I think the writing was on the wall that they didn't want to. I don't think that was the case with the Rams. I I think if they could have, they were in such cap problems that they had to release a bunch of guys. The the Rams were right. Weren't they like cap strapped? Yeah, that's out? fair. They still kind of are. Yeah, they were. They move. You know, they're trading all these pieces, signing Ramsey. They're not great with the cap at all. Correct. We knew they had all sorts of problems. Uh, Aguilar, I think, I don't think anybody wanted him back here. Right, and that's why, and even Andrew Ducecto kind of talked about it. Um, uh, this is his old contract. I got to find his new one. I think it was more like a prove it deal, but probably yeah. When when DeCecco just brought it up, he's like he, he doesn't like when people are saying, "Oh, they can't evaluate talent." Sometimes there's so much going on. There's so many factors. With Nelson Aguilar, everybody was screaming for this guy to leave. Now that he's playing well in Vegas, the conversation goes back to, "Oh, the Eagles don't know what to do with him." I just feel like there's a big disconnect when it comes to that. Well, last year he had 39 catches for 363. I mean, he's almost halfway there already in four or five games already. I, I Look, I, I contend Aguilar had talent. They used him wrong. They just they had him playing. He was a, When he played in the slot, he was productive. When they had to play him on the outside, and that was doing law, the injuries have been, in my opinion, bigger problems than the talent. Well, that plays a role with one another, no? The reason why their talent is bad is because of the injuries? Uh, Well, kind of. I mean... If they are a healthy team and don't have to go to the third and fourth option, they like Nelson Aguilar is fine as your third receiver. Well, when Deshaun Jackson gets hurt and Alshon Jeffrey get hurt, and now he's elevated to the first guy, that's a problem. I also feel he was lost mentally a bit, too, with the confidence. Once you lose your confidence as a player, it's hard to dig in. But a lot of the problem that he was losing his confidence is because he's playing a position, he's playing out of position. It's like... But hey. some guys own up to that. Some guys take it. Like, fine, I'm, I'm getting that spot. Fulgham. Look, here's a chance, dude. Make that play, and he That's is. That's the difference between a six-rounder walk-on and a guy who's drafted in the first round. 
the difference is what? The mentality of thinking I can just do well, it? Well, Aguilar drafted in the first round. The other guy has a chip on his shoulder that I'm a walk-on. I couldn't get a thing. I couldn't get drafted. But there's plenty of first-rounders that still take on that extra attitude about it. Like, hey, I'm a first-rounder. I'm going to prove to you I can do this. Uh, by the way, Aguilar signed a one-year $910,000 deal. Sounds about right. One year, one point zero four seven five. That's what it was. So, not a big deal. Yeah, he got a one year prove it deal out there. So far, no. I mean, but like Aguilar, when he was drafted in the first round, by the way, most people didn't even know who the hell he was. Pac twelve. <laughs> yeah, I get an email from Sal Pal every Friday about the Pac twelve guys, about how bad the Eagles have all these Pac twelve guys and all these teams that are out. They all have SEC and Big Ten guys. Well, hey, Zach Ertz, even though we're upset with him today and based off of like this Pac-12. season, Pac-12 guy. Well, he's not. Carson Wentz, worse than a Pac-12 guy. <laughs> uh, that was Football 4 brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. All right, we'll play some more Anytime Hotline calls. we got plenty more reaction on that. You guys can get involved, too. 609-403-0973. We just got a ton of text messages that just came in. So we'll read off some of those, too. 609-403-0973. Hit us up on the phones if you want to pop in. 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776 if you want to react. So, like, man, there's so much frustration with this game and this team. I think the the point that you, you bring up is they just got beat by a better team. They just didn't have the weapons. They weren't at full strength. They went as toe-to-toe as they could and fell short because they... They're shorthanded. I would agree, and that's why when you ask me, how do I feel? Am I frustrated? And I think they were one or two plays away. It's it's a weird answer because you're right. They just got beat by a better team, but they played hard. They competed. It is what it is, kind of. That type of mentality. 609-573-3776. We'll open up the phones for you. Anytime hotline calls, text messages, we're reacting next. This is the radio home for Philadelphia Eagles football. This Sunday, the Eagles host the Baltimore Locked into South Jersey's number one sports radio talk show, The Sports Bash, with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, Mike and Broads, at Mike Gill Show. Follow me there, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter, at Broads81 for Broads. We got more Anytime Hotline calls. You want a stat? I got a stat for you from Bob Wankel. I like a Bob stat. Me too. I do like a Bob stat. The Eagles haven't been an underdog of seven-plus points more than twice in any season this century until this year. This will be the third straight week in which they are an underdog of at least seven points. Yes, yeah, seven and a half it opened at. Wow. There's your Bob stat. That's a home seven and a half. That's a home seven and a half. 609-403-0973 on the PlaySugarHouse.com text board. 609 403 0973. Hit us up on the text board there. Got a couple people hanging on hold. We will uh, take some more. We'll take some of your phone calls. We got anytime hotline calls. Uh, read off some of these texts real fast. Guys, it's frustrating to see the Eagles constantly not coaching to players' strength. I look back over the years. Patrick Chung, for instance, booed out of town. I thought he didn't belong in the league. Belichick figures him out. Chung started as three rings. The Eagles have like 30 coaches this year. What the hell are they doing? Uh, well, you booed him out of town. Right. I mean, the, the, the coaches didn't boo him out of town. I mean. There does have to be something to be said, though, about how they are being coached. Who is doing the coaching? How much say does the position coaches have compared to 
the coordinators, and things of that nature? How does the trickle-down effect work when it comes to teaching these players what exactly to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Chung, look, you're, okay, you're complaining that Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time, has figured out how to use Patrick Chung. I mean, it is an example, but you're right. It happens a lot of places. We're all assuming if Chase Claypool came here, that he would fit in. If DK Metcalf was here, he would fit in. He probably would, but we just assume that if they were here, they'd be as good as they are where, where what they're doing with what they are, where they are now is what I should say. If Easy they, for me to say. If they couldn't figure it out, then we have some issues, right? If you can't figure out DK Metcalf, huh, how do I utilize this guy? Throw it up to him. Yeah. That's Throw all you got to do. Throw the football. Uh, could the Eagles target Alshon Jeffrey during the next couple of weeks to build up his stats, maybe trade him to a team that needs a receiver, literally trade him for anything? It's a possibility that you can trade one of these receivers. Alshon probably at the top of your list. I don't think anybody's taken Deshaun Jackson from him. You can't trust him. Other than that, I don't think anybody has any value. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside doesn't have value. I don't want to overreact to this specific game because I am underwhelmed with Zach Ertz. But if not signing Zach Ertz is in the future, would you move on from him? Absolutely, 100%. If someone would trade for Zach Ertz right now, and this isn't saying that Zach's a problem or he stinks, or you can move on from your second tight end if you're – Okay, he's not your second tight end. He's your first tight end. You have Goddard. I've been steadfast on this. Goddard can be every bit as good as Ertz can be. There's no need if you're not going to sign him to keep him. If you are Howie Roseman and you know in your heart of hearts you have no intention of keeping him, it's almost imperative that you're working the phones to trade him. I would agree. And for Zach Ertz, here's an opportunity without Dallas Goddard on the field to play super well, to be the guy that gets 10 catches. Dallas Goddard's not even here, and he's struggling to do it. And I'm with you. Look, Carson Wentz missed him a couple times. Would that change the way his numbers looked afterwards and the way you view it? Uh, Maybe. But Zach Ertz is underperforming without Dallas Goddard on the field, and that's troubling. No? No. There's no question that Ertz has consistently over the years been your number one target, your best guy, and now he's not even, you don't even think of him. You don't even think of him. Can't happen. Howie Roseman has to be working the phones for Ertz right now. Has to be. Has to be. 609-573-3776. Let's go to William in Atlantic City. What's up, William? Hey, Mike, haven't called for a while, but I just, I have a theory, and I hope you can um, help me out with it. Do you think Doug Peterson was a product of his assistant coaches? Because it seems like he's regressing each year in terms of a total game plan and a total, um, uh, uh, I guess, a direction to go. It seems like he's, one week he won't kick a field goal, one week he'll kick a field goal, one week he won't he'll punt. One week he'll go he won't go for the you know the, the down and, and yardage. I just think he's regressing. I think he was a, a a product of his assistant coaches. I don't think he's as good now as he was in the past with those assistant coaches. And I listen. Sure, man. Appreciate it, William. Uh, there's a lot to to kind of uh, kind of peel the onion on that. To answer his question, sure. I don't have a problem saying that. 
When you lose assistant coaches, Andy Reid lost assistants, and the Eagles started to struggle. Once people started to poach Andy's assistants from him, yeah, the Eagles had some problems when Andy started to lose, you know, some of his uh, top offensive assistants. That's when the Eagles kind of, you know, after like 04, the Eagles started to kind of go in a more, you know, back then they were like 12 and 4, 11 and 5. They were clearly the best team. They were still good, but they were like more 10 and 6, 9 and 7, you know, once Andy's assistants um, started to get poached a little bit. Here's the problem with Doug. Here's the one thing with Doug that I'll reserve on saying that people think he stinks or yada, yada, yada. The team has constantly had injury issues, and yet they've constantly made turn their season around. So is that turnaround coming this year, or is he out of is he out of that? Because I got to give him credit for keeping the team in focused and in the moment last year when they lost that game to Miami and they didn't fold and they ran off four straight and they made the playoffs and they were in that game against Seattle. So I think Doug is good at keeping the team together and he's good at making sure that they are focused on the task at hand. But losing assistance, I definitely think, hurts most guys. I mean, other than Belichick, I've talked about this a lot. When you lose assistants that you trust and then you have a new guy take their place and you don't know what you can put on their plate, there's definitely something there. No question about it. That ties perfectly into what I was going to say. So I actually wrote down here, who doesn't get hurt when you lose assistants that you value and who are good? Because I thought the same thing. All these coaches are going to look worse when they lose you know what I mean? When you lose your tree that is solid because they get picked off and become head coaches, that's going to affect a lot of guys. With Doug Peterson, I never thought he was a strong X's and O's guy, which is an important part of being a coach, but you can get help through other people for that. What he does do very well is keep everyone together when things look horrendous, when things go downwards, when people start to maybe not believe in themselves. He picks them back up and he goes, hold on a second. We have a chance to win this week. Let's turn this around. And a lot of the guys respect Doug Peterson. And that's a big, important piece to being a head coach as well. And I value that just as much as X's and O's. So while I am hard on Doug Peterson, I think he gets away from the run. I think sometimes he lacks creativity. If you have a head coach that does what Doug Peterson does so well, which is make sure that everyone respects him and he keeps everyone on the same page, if you do find the right assistance, then you have have the ability to be a scary squad. It's just about finding those right pieces, and I don't know if they have that right Well, now. to be a championship team, everything falls into place, and that is includes the assistant coaches, having the right guys, and what that means is you have enough faith in these other guys that you can take more off your plate and put it on someone else's plate because you trust them. And I don't know how much Doug trust his guys right now. Rich Scangarello, I don't even know who the other guy is. They brought in these, you know, couple of Mar yeah, Marty Mortingwig. Yep. Um I thought there was another guy though that they brought in that was like uh some sort of offensive assistant. Well, Press Taylor. Um, what does yeah, he but have? No, I, I, because last year the whole thing with Doug, those guys weren't getting fired and then they got fired the next day. And I think that was the first weakening point for Doug of man, you guys maybe go out there 
say that those guys, I said that they were not getting fired, and then you made me fire them. I think that was the first crack in the armor of, hmm, is this thing, remember, they win a Super Bowl, and you think, okay, that's a lifetime contract for somebody. Fans already are ready to move on from Doug. Like, that's just the way of the world. Like, there are people out there that think he stinks, that think he, he needs to go. Well, that's ridiculous. They're saying the same thing with Jim Schwartz right now. I'm hard on Doug, and I expect more, and I'm okay with being that way and still not wanting to fire him. People in Pittsburgh have been screaming to fire Mike Tomlin all these years, and then he ends up, he's great. He's a great coach. Like, the overreaction is silly to me. when it Even if someone's having a bad week, a, a bad stretch of three, four games, Bad organizations fire their coaches all the time. Right, and you win the Super Bowl, and all these people are like, oh, my God. People forgot about that Super Bowl so quickly, and they have essentially said that Doug just doesn't know what he's doing anymore. And the guy went to the playoffs both years after the Super Bowl. Both years after they won the Super Bowl. It's not like they won the Super Bowl and then have been 4-12. and To counter, though, 9-7, and seven, bad division. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, I get that. I'm saying they've been a playoff team the last two seasons. I get it. It's trending like, you know, hey, they made the playoffs, but they're in a bad division. I get all that. But people act like they went from winning the Super Bowl to 4-12 and all of a sudden. Correct. And somehow he has – and the whole bad division thing, like, I I get that. The NFC East is terrible. Um, But the NFC East this year is also playing the NFC West, which is very strong. The schedules are imbalanced. So if Philly is playing not the NFC East this year, let's say they're playing the the South instead. I don't know. Maybe they pick up a couple of more wins and the, and the North looks as bad because, you know, you're going to lose to the Rams. You're going to lose to Seattle. You're going to lose to— I understand what you're saying, but remember when we were talking this about the This division's bad, though. I'm not sugarcoating that. No, I understand. But when we talked about the Rams after the Rams beat us, and I talked about how explosive their offense looked, it made a lot of sense. You could see the flow. And, and one of the points you brought up is, well, the Rams didn't even make the playoffs last year. So what is that saying? If the Rams were in the NFC East, they probably would have been like a 13-12 to 12 win team last year. But because they were playing with Seattle and the 49ers who went to the Super Bowl, they were in a tough position. And I think that's where, you know, when you look at these teams, while yes, they did make the playoffs. And you can only control so much. So it's an uncontrollable that the division stunk. They won the division, and that's fair. I just feel it does need to have context because 9-7, and seven, if we dove into the analytics and the percentages, that probably gets you into the playoffs before they expanded teams such a limited amount of time. Sure. I mean, maybe 9-7 and is a wild card team. They win the division at 9-7 and because your division's down. Look, this look is Peterson my favorite coach? No, I don't think he's the best coach in the league. I don't think he's as bad as people out there are making him out to be. I'm not even suggesting the caller was saying that. I think he's making a good point is that maybe the Eagles coaching staff is just not where it was a couple of years ago. And I think that's certainly fair to say. I think Doug is definitely struggling with how much he can trust some of his guys right now. Who hire, Who hires these people? Is that a Jeffrey Lurie? Howard well, I think thing? it's clear that Doug didn't want to fire Mike Grow. Mike Grow. I think that's clear. Right, so now who do we look Where's at? Gro who now? hired in, these guys? Grows um, in Chicago, isn't he? Where'd Mike Grow go? He is in Colts. That's right. He went with Indianapolis. Frank Reich's there. Mike Grow's there. So it's clear Doug did not want to fire Mike Grow. That's clear. 
I think the ownership group stepped in and said, "You gotta, we have to do something. We can't go back with this. They fire him after Doug says we're not firing him. And now he's got guys in there that I don't think he really trusts 100% yet. And I think the offense, you're seeing the results of an offense that looks like it's disjointed in terms of the, the, the left hand is not talking to the right hand somewhere here. Now, what's that mean for the defensive side of the ball? Well, that's a different story. I will right, we'll play more anytime hotline calls. I know we didn't get to any there, but we read off a lot of texts. Had a couple calls. 609-403-0973 on the text board. 609-403-0973. Hit us up on the text board. 609-573-3776 in Atlantic and Cape May County. 609-573-3776 over in Delaware and all over South Jersey. Wake up weekday mornings from 6 to 10. Sports Pass is brought to you by Comfort Now from Bob McAllister. Call Comfort Now for discounts and rebates on qualifying cooling and heating systems. Visit Bob and the Comfort Now team online at IWantComfortNow.com. I'm Mike Gill at Mike Gill Show on Twitter at Broads81 for Broads. Oh, boy. Um, there's more anytime hotline calls that we're going to get to in the 5 o'clock hour here. We can put a fit in one or two here if you want. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot. This is a record number. Record number. Crazy. People not happy. Not happy. That last play of the game, still just kind of like, what's going on? I want to know more information, though, because you look at it and it's like, wow, why is Nate Gary there? But when you're hearing all this stuff about Rodney McLeod speaking and then you're seeing breakdowns, something's not adding up. What happened? Doug is being very evasive about answering the question. He doesn't really want Like, he basically is saying, we call the defense. Their quarterback changed the play, just like our quarterback goes to the line and says, kill, kill, kill. They call a defense. Our quarterback looks their defense over, changes the play. Their quarterback looked our defense over and changed the play. There's got to be more to it, though. Because when I heard Roddy McLeod speak, he was saying something about how, you know, the coverage and this and that, and you're seeing breakdowns. There's something that... We need to dive deeper into. I think that McLeod definitely has to see that. And I don't know. Does does Jim Schwartz have the power on game day to call timeout? My guess is no. Like, can he say, we're in the wrong defense here. I don't like this. Timeout. Or does he have to radio over to Doug and, and kind of, you know. Because to me, I look at that and I say, look. They could have adjusted the defense there, right? You see, it's not like Roethlisberger saw it and then quick snapped on you. He saw it and then called out an audible and changed all the plays. And, in fact, if you watch the Acho video, he actually has what Roethlisberger said to Juju Smith-Schuster. was essentially, you're running an out now. Like, get out of there because we want you to take – those players with him. So he changes his route, and he says it literally to him. You run an out. I think that's what he said. I, I don't remember 100%, but he told him what he wanted him to run. And then he tells Claypool, he, he hits the side of his helmet saying, I want you to go straight down the field. And Claypool actually looks at him like, are you serious? You want me to change my, my route? And he's like, yeah. Mills, who's in the slot, now he's up against a wide receiver. He's telling Geary, if you watch him, 
Get back. Get depth. Get yourself back. And Geary is not paying attention to him. And Geary is five yards off the ball. McLeod could have said, hey, I'll take the guy who has killed us this game. I'll take Claypool. You, the problem is Mills then has to move over one. Geary then has to move over one. They were just personnel-wise, they had the wrong personnel out in the field is how I look at it. But there's, it's all encompassing. Like they don't have good personnel. They had two injuries at corner. You're down. Your two starting corners are not playing in the game. There, one of them gets hurt. I mean, it's a combination of a lot of different things. And they have good personnel. Juju's very good. Deontay Johnson's very good. Um, Claypool's obviously very good. Uh, who was the other guy that was killing him? The wide receiver had two carries for like eighty yards. That was McLeod. McLeod. Yeah. They got a lot of speed. And what do I talk about all the time? Accentuate the positives. The guy McLeod, not a great receiver. What am I going to do? Jet sweep you. 50-yard play right after Craven LeBlanc missed a third and short tackle.